Well, today is our third in a series that we've called uh, Conversations for Change. And in the midst of um, important and challenging times, uh, not only uh, here in New York where I live, but across um, our nation and frankly in the nations, there is a, a, a cry right now um, to address issues of injustice and um, race and where these conversations uh, intersect with the gospel and with the local church. And so I'm so glad that you're joining today and I'm gonna be introducing a few guests, which is fun. Um, I'm gonna actually bring them all up on the screen here now. Uh, I am joined today um, by some friends, um, by uh, Anastasia Braithwaite, who uh, actually, Anna was one of the very first people in our church, right? In fact, it might've been the very first gathering before we even had weekly services, if I'm not mistaken, way back in the day in 2010. Yes. <laughs> and uh, part of our worship team and our downtown Brooklyn community and just an awesome person. Anna, we are so glad that you've joined. Thank you. Get it. <laughs> and then we have Maddie. Now, Maddie, Maddie's teaching me how to say her last name properly, but I'm going to have a crack at it. Louison. I did it all right. Yeah, she's on mute still. Maddie, Maddie was telling me the heritage of the name, so it's French and, uh, and a little bit fancy like Maddie is, but she's an elder in our downtown Brooklyn community, and she's joined on, the, on our conversation today too uh, by her son, Jeremy, because of where we're going with the conversation today. So, Pastor Jeremy, tell us a little bit about you. Um, I'm a pastor at Pioneer Church in uh, downtown Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, we've been here, we've launched in 2017, so we're going on our third year. Uh, and I just want to thank you guys, because at the beginning, you guys prayed for us and prayed for our church. And uh, we've been steamrolling and blowing and going and just thankful for all the moves that God is doing. So I believe that you guys, your, your prayer as a church really helped us and lifted us up. And so uh, shout out to JR and Tessa. We love them. And Tess, we love them so much. And so thank you for having me. That's so cool. Yeah, we, um, well, we're, we're kind of avid church planters at heart and we, we just keep on planting. So, we, but we also know how hard church planting is. It's already, yeah. it's already challenging, you know, just, just leadership in general, but church planting is, is no joke. And, and in times like these, and, you know, and you're launching in a, in a context too that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit in the conversation today. Yeah. We'll be grateful for you and that you'd make the time because I actually, the, the reason that the suggestion to have Jeremy on the, on the conversation today was um, Maddie's mom's. And um, cause I said to Anna and to Maddie, I said, I'd love to have a conversation. We don't really know where this is going to go in case you're wondering how these things work. There's no script. There's no plan. Um, they get to just be themselves in a talk. I'm just here as a learner cause I'm clearly not an expert. Um, but, but I am passionate about hearing people's experiences and hearing the insights, the revelation, even sometimes I think the pain and the hardship people have been through that we can learn and grow together. So, um, so I, this particular conversation though today, um, uh, part of what was on my heart, and we'll see where it goes, part of what was on my heart to talk to was how this affects families. And by this, I mean, you know, racism, is a pandemic. We were just talking about that a minute ago. Um, as much as COVID, racism is a pandemic. And so in one sense, um, 
you know, everyone everywhere is being affected by that. But there's also a specific thing that we're experiencing in the United States right now, a specific type of pain for a specific community within our nation, and that is our, our, our Black community, our African-American communities, and, um, and what they're experiencing, what they have been experiencing. And so I think rightly that's the focus of the conversation right now. Um, I said to I said to the to, to Maddie and to Anastasia, I'd love to talk about families and how does this affect families? How do you have these conversations as families? Something I've been told a few times is um, that families worry, especially for the men of the family. I'd love you to explain why that is. And so, how does that affect you as a mother? Or how does that affect that? Hence, Jeremy jumping on. Or you know, how does that affect you, Anna, as a as a sister? Um, and so I. The floor is yours. I, I've done enough talking. I, I would love, maybe, maybe Anna, maybe we could just sort of start with you and then we'll just see where the conversation goes. And um, I'm sure I'm going to have questions. But Anna, would you, maybe you can just share some of your, your life and your experiences and how, how this has been affecting you and your family. Sure. So I um, am one of three children uh, from my mom and I'm the youngest. My, there's my sister, Carol. And there's my brother, Chris, who's in the middle. And Chris lives in South Carolina. He works as a cameraman um, for his local news station. And I, where my fear for him has been, he's a black man living in the South. And we have that history um, in this country. Uh, but lately, he is literally on the front lines covering protests uh, covering news, uh, you know, I've, I've heard some stories where, you know, people have treated him really poorly, thought that he was stealing equipment where he's actually just using his equipment to film what he needs to film for his job. And just with him, the, the story of Ahmaud Arbery hit me particularly hard. Um, because my brother likes to jog. Uh, he does it to clear his mind from a very stressful job. And when I learned of Ahmad Arbery and how he died, I immediately pictured, what if that was my brother? And unfortunately, um, because these things happen far too frequently where there has been a really unjust loss of life, and there's a pattern where, um, especially in news media, there's this tendency to try to find something in that person's past to basically say he deserved what he got. Mm. And that grieves me. And I, and I thought not only, you know, what if this was my brother, but I thought, what if my brother was taken from his mother, from his father, from, you know, our older sister and from me and then his memory was tarnished because someone wanted to paint this picture of you know he was a criminal he was a drug user he was a gangbanger you know whatever narrative that they all too often have for black mm -hmm. men in this country and and it it really it pierced my heart so deeply um i'm a very sensitive person just by nature and learning about ahmaud arbery and then just George Floyd, I, I honestly just spent like a couple of days in bed and in tears, honestly. Um, and I've 
my brother always tells me and my mom and my sister stop worrying about me and I try to tell him it doesn't really work that way <laughs> like you can tell us not to worry about you but because we love you and you're far away we we worry about you but I I try earnestly to leave him in God's hands and I I always pray God please keep your angels around him Lord you can you can safeguard him better than we ever could so I just give him to you and um, thankfully, every night after he gets in from work, he text, sends us a text just to let us know that he made it home safely. And it's like, oh, thank God. And then, of course, the next day starts all over again. Mm. I mean, even, even just that last thing that you said, i got to be honest, like this is where I'm learning so much in these conversations. Just the fact that he would need to text. Like, you know, when you talk about, like, I, I don't there's a whole journey to be had here and it's another, maybe a conversation for another day around white privilege, but this is where these things become invisible is like just the idea that it would be important to say I made it home is not a thought that I have. Mm. Yeah. And it's not something, it's not something that I'm teaching my boys to think about. And I think in those little, not little, but I guess a little in the sense that these are little, these are vignettes, these are moments, insights for me into the ways that that um, almost unconscious patterns of life um, to be okay and to care for each other um, is where, for me, some of these inequalities like are actually surfacing is in the is in the is in the everyday. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what you were going through that day when the news hit about Ahmad Aubrey, let alone the whole fact that it had gone on months earlier and actually exactly. never even made news and there was no justice coming until the video surfaced. You know? Exactly. And that, that was it. That broke my heart even more. Um, there's so much more that I could say. <laughs> I'm just gonna hold back, but it, again, like I mentioned, Aside from the fact that Ahmad was killed so brutally, the unfortunate pattern for the news or for whoever to try to dig up something from the past to just give that message that he deserved what he got. And this is never the, the case. It, it just breaks my heart. And one thing um, that I kind of focus on because I, I, I'm very passionate about mental health. Anytime someone is taken like this, this is compounded grief and compounded trauma, yeah. not just for the immediate family or the friends of the person who was killed, but I feel for the entire black community. And it does affect me and it affects my family. And I always think, well, this could happen to my brother. Mm -hmm. And I pray it never does, but I, I, I just can't help but grieve for that person as if i knew that person personally yeah 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 that's um that's huge um maybe maddie you could share a little bit about talk, talk to us about raising a family talk to us about raising kids and how do you have these conversations how do you you know i mean you got a amazing godly son here you know, who's an example and leading others, like, maybe I'm just asking as a parent, how did you do that? But also, specifically, how did you do that in times like these with the specific 
challenges and things that our nation is 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 awakening to right now i think that um i had the talk with my children from the time that they were young <laughs> getting a little teary-eyed because i'm remembering when eric garner was killed and i looked i was in italy and i was watching cnn and I saw this big black man on the ground saying, I can't breathe, and I was in a hotel. I just began to cry because I thought of Jeremy. Jeremy is a big man, Andy is a big man, David, they're big people. And like Anastasia, I thought that could be my son, that could be my son. And I thought of the thousands of students that I have taught, and it just really broke my heart. And, Yes, I've had that talk with my, my children, all of my children. If the police stop you, put your hand, I'm sorry for being tight teary-eyed, but it just, it's tender within me. If the police stop you, put your hands up in the air, be respectful. Don't move, don't breathe, don't wear your pants low, don't wear the hoodie over. And I remember when they were younger, don't be in groups of kids because then the police will stop you. Don't, don't do that, just, you know, separate two or three, that's it. I've had these conversations with my children. And with George Floyd, just hearing him call for his mother, I had asked the Lord, please, don't ever let me be that mother. Hmm. That my, my boys are calling for me. Please don't let me be that mother. So, I would say that, and I have to tell you a story. Um, as far as my husband is concerned, several years ago, I want to say like maybe seven or eight years ago, it was Labor Day weekend, right? At that time, Jeremy hadn't married yet, and he was home with me for, the, for like the summer. And my husband was in the backyard with his friends, and he was drinking but the backyard door was open because he was between like the garage and the backyard, which are in close proximity. So the, the backyard door was open, but he was in the yard with his friends taking a drink. And since it was Labor Day weekend and he was playing music here in the house, that's at all the records, he was playing music really loud. And it was just me, Jeremy, David, and I was sitting downstairs in my basement having a cup of coffee. Music is loud, they're in the backyard enjoying themselves. And all of a sudden, I see two police officers coming into my home. And behind the two police officers was my husband. And behind my husband was three more police officers. And they came into my home and the woman looked at me and she was like, turn the music down. And I called David and I said, David, run and turn the music down. But my husband was so upset and he's such a quiet man. He was so upset that he was screaming and shouting and he was like, this is illegal. You can't come into my home. This is illegal. And he went crazy. And then all of a sudden, the police officers took him, two police officers just grabbed him on one each arm and he kind of went down to like for them and I kind of pushed him into a bedroom that was there and I was like, no, don't do this. And he came out of the bedroom and he was just screaming, he goes, this is illegal, you can't do this. And at that point, Jeremy 
grabbed him from behind because he was so upset. And Jeremy put his arm and as he stood screaming and I was in front of him and I was like, no, no, don't get upset, stay calm, no. And when all of a sudden I turned around and they were gone, all five police officers. Needless to say, as I was in prayer the next day, I could feel in my home that my home was violated. And I could feel that it was a spiritual thing, like to the point that I had to go around and anoint every window and every door. And I knew, I knew to myself that we had dodged a bullet figurative, figuratively and literally. Had I not been home, they would have killed my husband or they would have arrested him, one of the two. But because I was able, see, I'm not from the, I'm not from the West Indies, I'm not from Grenada. I don't have an accident. And I was able to articulate very clearly and look into that police officer's eyes and say, I have this under control. I will turn down the music. If I had not been there, mm. it would not have turned out. I, I had to go around and anoint every window with oil because I felt so, I felt like my home was just violated in such an evil way that I can feel that presence in the home. So yeah, it's not easy. Mm. And there are many stories. Mm. And it's not, it's, it's not something that we can just, you can't just even make this up. I mean, you look at history and you look at your children and I look at, I look at Jeremy who's in the South. You know, not to say it's any safer here, but still he's in the South, he's on the front lines. That is not easy. That, you know, you, you've got to be praying for your men. You've got to be praying because then what happens? It breaks down the family when men are taken out of the families. Your children are, look at George Floyd, no father. It breaks down and destroys the family. So um, we had the talk to your question. We had the talk and we continue to talk. Mm. Not easy. Sorry for crying. No, I, uh, <laughs> I cried. <laughs> That's why I had the camera just on you for a minute. <laughs> um, so Jeremy, talk to me about the talk then. What do you remember of those conversations or what stands out to you? Or how does that shape you as a young man when you start to realize, you know, identity or when you start to realize what that, you know what these experiences or what does that put in you? I mean, it's the right training. And yet at the same time, of, I'm sure it comes with fears and, and things as well. So, I mean, maybe, maybe you can speak to, to what that is. Um, I remember having, <clears throat> the talk was constant. We, we always had the talk. So it wasn't mm -hmm. like we had the talk this one time and we never talked right. about it again, you know? Um, it was always a reminder and um, you have to talk so much sometimes that it, it kind of messes with your mind, right? Because you're like, well, I don't want to be in the skin anymore. If, if that's the treatment I like, I don't want that. I, I don't want to be in the skin if I'm going to be treated that way. I don't want to be in the skin if I'm going to be targeted that way. And so, mm -hmm. and so you, you're constantly having this and, and even in school, you're, um, I know that the term is called code switching, you know, and, and you're constantly having to change little bits and pieces of who you are 
to fit the circles that you're in, um, to fit the, the, the people whom you go. Now we went, uh, my brother and sister, we were fortunate to go to a predominantly, uh, we went to private school and it was a predominantly white, majority white school. And so we constantly had to change and adjust who we were to make ourselves comfortable around people who otherwise, I mean, a large man such as myself, I, I've had people come up to me and say, you look intimidating. How? <laughs> how? You know, how am I intimidating? You know, and so I remember always having to talk and there was a time when um, I left my house. We were going to a youth, youth meeting. I was by myself. I was walking and at the end of the corner, two cop cars pull on, on an angle because it's an intimidation tactic, right? And so I stopped. And they stopped me, and the guy's yelling from the cop is yelling from the car, Where are you going? To church. And you know, in that moment, everything, everything freezes. Like it, it felt like time went slow for a second because you're like, Jesus, what have I gotten myself into? What did I do? What did I do? And so, like everything my mother told me, I put my hands up automatically, just you know, I froze and I stood there like this. And I remember just standing there and he yelling at me from the car as if I was doing something, where are you going? Where are you coming from? And with my hands up, I'm like, I live right there, right there, that house with the red awning. That's where I live. I'm just coming from my house. I'm going to church right now in downtown Brooklyn. Um, if you want to go ring that doorbell, my mom, she will, she can vouch for me. I've been there. Like I just came from there and, and giving enormous amount of detail to where I just was. And all, all to end on, all for, all for it to end on, well, there's a, you fit, you fit the mold of someone that we're looking for who's been stealing backpacks in this neighborhood. In which I, I literally, with my hands up, said, sir, I don't even have a single backpack on me. Like, look around. I don't have a backpack on me. Yeah. And so it was always, we've always had the talk, always have the talk. And, just wondering why like you can you can present yourself in the best way right and and i always believe the way the way you're perceived is the way they receive you so however you perceive someone is the way you're going to receive them and so it's always this matter of why do you perceive me as a threat from the beginning and so you anything i do you're going to receive as a threat and so, um, especially in the South, you know, uh, I wear glasses and contacts. Um, I like wearing contacts more often, but I find that when I wear glasses, it makes me less of a threat. It's, wow. it's so crazy. You know, I feel like Superman a little bit, but not on the good end of it, um, that I have to wear glasses so I may be perceived as um, a human being or a father or or you know, oh, he's he looks he looks like he's intelligent, and, and so always that talk was always on my mind that you know, and my mom, thankfully, she never said police are the enemy. That's not she's never raised that raised us in that. She she always says they're supposed to protect you, but they're not your friends. Um, they're not someone who you joke around with. If they stop you, you need to stop because there's a negative side to it, and so. Um, yeah, growing up, it was very different. I remember that situation with my dad. I remember being in my room and hearing my dad yelling at the top of his lungs. 
And I'm in my room, and I'm like, I know he's not yelling my, like my, my mom at, like that. I know he's not speaking to my mom that way. Like, he didn't lose his mind that much, you know? And so I go out, and I see those cops. And I remember going up behind him, and the cops are like, there's a lot of yelling going on. And I'm just like, I'm his son. I'm his son. And I just literally bear hug him from behind and almost like picking him up and dragging him away and saying like, it's okay. And like, I had to restrain him in that moment. Mm -hmm. It's like, I restrained him to save his life, mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah, it's, it's those moments that you look back on and you, and you realize the talk and you're like, thank God we have a mother. I mean, who gave us the talk, but what about the kids who, who don't have that talk? What about the people who don't have that talk? Um, because parents aren't aren't around and aren't available, so yeah. yeah, it's 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 different. It's different. I'd but. love to hear more about something you you used an expression in there a couple minutes ago. I think you called it code changing. Yeah, code switching. I've literally never heard of that before. So I say a lot in these interviews. Excuse my ignorance, but can you? Oh. I don't know if maybe what you gave uh, later as the example of like I wear glasses because I seem less intimidating yeah that's an example of code changing maybe if i'm understanding yeah. that. But, but no so code switching um code switching there you go yeah yeah code switching is having to change little bits of who you are in order to fit the acceptable mold mm -hmm. so um in corporate i'll give another example in corporate america you don't see a lot of uh black or african-american women wear their hair naturally because in corporate america that's looked down upon your hair has to be straight it has to look present, and to them, that's not presentable. And so, code switching for Black people is like, okay, I know I'm in a, uh, if I go to a majority white um, location, I have to present myself in a way that disarms me and lets people know, oh, he's not from the hood, or he doesn't have, we don't have a certain stigma attached to who we are. And so um, a lot of African-Americans or black people are constantly code switching depending on which, which form they're in. And mm. that's exhausting mentally. Has um, to it's be. exhausting. It has to be exhausting. I mean, it's one thing for, for a person to do that by choice because they want to be accepted in a cool group or because, um, you know, may, maybe, you know, like I want to evangelize a certain community and I want to, you know what I mean? I want to lean in, but it's like another thing entirely when the reason I'm doing that is not choice, right. but it's either self-preservation or to, to in some way minimize, or even, I guess you could say edit my true self. Right. Well, even just to get respect. Who I am to this moment, to this conversation or to that circle either for fear of my life or for fear of being profiled. I mean, that, that, that is a whole, that's a whole different Absolutely. thing. And even if it is just because I think <laughs> I've had, I'll, I'll tell you another story and then I'll, and I'll be quiet. Um, I had an interview. Uh, my name is Jeremy Louison. Uh, it doesn't sound black or African-American on paper. And so I had an interview on the phone with the company and, you know, the interview's going well, and they're like, wow, this is great, you're awesome, yada, 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 yeah, let's get you in for an interview. So I remember walking in the office, and the guy's head is down, he's looking down, I think he's reading over something, I don't know what it is, and I remember him picking his head up, and he looks at me, and he verbatim goes, you're not what I expected. <laughs> you're not what I expected. 
and I'll, and you know, puzzled and confused, you're like, oh, uh, what, what did you expect? He's like, oh no, you, he's like, you just sound different over the phone. What do you mean? And so we, we, we start the interview and man, two questions and I'm like, hey, I'm just gonna do us the favor. I'm just gonna leave. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate the opportunity, but from where I'm sitting, it's just, it may not work out. So thank you and just left. And so it was one of those things that were, because I, again, my name and uh, how my voice is and how I carry myself, it's different than what people expect from the typical black African-American. So um, it's just different, it's different and it's learning. And especially like, there's a lot of, I worked in corporate America for one year, one year, that's all I could do. And then um, there was a lot of times where even the stuff I wear, I was like, I can't wear that, I can't wear that because I, I know, and it, it's not saying that they would fire me, but it diminishes the respect that I would, that would be granted towards me. It would diminish the level of professionalism that would be granted towards me because I wore a certain type of clothing or a certain type of whatever. And so, um, yeah, code switching, it's a lot of African-Americans do it. And, and, you know, being in the South, when we went, there were a couple of churches I had to code switch in and be like, all right, let me, let me change up who I am just a little bit. Um, but yeah. Well, thank you for um, explaining it to me. It's, uh, I think it's like it's in understanding these things. Frankly, for me, it's discovering uh, not only experiences, but whole paradigms, ways of thinking, everyday life experiences that are foreign to me that shows me and hopefully people watching these, the extent to which, you know, it's, um, things are, can be in our blind spots. And, um, you know, Jimmy Rollins, um, who I had a conversation with just recently for a Sunday service at our church, you know, he talks about a lot about, you know, if you, you know, if you, you know, if you, dis, if you dismiss um, my experiences, um, then you, you like, you, you, you know, you, you miss who I am, you know, um, and I think the experiences are really important because they're, they're, ex, they're expressions of what can otherwise be, you know, invisible. So I, I appreciate you. And sharing that. Um, Can I share a story? Please, Maddie, I was going to ask you to do exactly that. <laughs> so, back in the 80s, before I became a teacher, I worked for Tishman Construction Company. And I would always be on the phone getting cars for the men at the job site. But during that same time in the early 80s, my husband was trying to get a job in construction. He went to many, walked the streets of Manhattan trying to get in, and they would tell him, no, you're not in the union. So I was on the phone with one particular super on the job. We had developed some kind of relationship over the phone. I got in his cars, put phones on the job site. So one day I said, hey, Elio, my husband is looking for a job. He said, is he in the union? I said, no, he's not in the union. He's like, you know what, Madeline? No problem. He goes, just send him to me on Monday to go, and, and he'll go to whatever job site it was. Send him there. We'll get him in the union. We'll get him working. Everything's going to be fine. I said, Elio, thank you so very much. We really needed this. 
When I hung up the phone, I knew in my mind, when this man sees this black man, he's not gonna want him. He's not going to want him. So I got on the phone, I called uh, the liquor store nearby, and I said, you know what? Send a bottle of Dom Perignon to this job site, send it to Elio Satina, and I had them write a nice card. Thank you so much for taking my husband to the union and getting him on a job site with love, Neville and Madeline Louison. I sent it. Monday came, my husband went. And when he saw my husband, he was, the foreman said, we don't need anyone on this job site, no. And the super said, we have to get him in. I promised his wife who works at the main building that he would be in the union. Fast forward, that was like in October. So now December, we go to the Christmas party. And I said to myself, let me go and introduce myself. Now, this is big mafioso guy, Ilio. And I go over to him and I said, hi, Ilio Satina. Stretch out my hand. My name is Madeline Louisanne. That man did not shake my hand. He looked at me and he said, you caught me off guard but it's a good thing that he's a good worker. I have countless stories like that, where people judge you by the way you speak, mm. as if you should be speaking in another way, as if you can't be educated and this is just the way I speak. And so they, over the phone, have always mistaken my identity. And then when you see the color of my skin, then it's a problem. Mm. So that, that's a common story, not only for me, but for many people of color, where your identity is mistaken and you're treated one way on the phone. And then when, you, when you're seen, it's a different story. It's a different story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Anna, I, um, where's Jesus in all of this? You know, what's, what's, what do you think Jesus is doing right now? What, where's, where's the gospel in all of this? Where do you, I don't know, I'm asking the same question different ways. Where are you finding hope right now? Maybe is a different way of saying that. Like, I think there's a side of the situation right now that's so profoundly discouraging. Mm -hmm. And yet I have this weird sense that um, certainly not that God is behind these things. I think there's, there's, I mean, there's evil in the world. The enemy is real and at work. And we see that in a broken, fallen humanity. No two ways about it. And yet there's this promise that he's working things for good, that he's, I, I believe that, that, that God is not silent, that he's at work right now. Where are you, where are you seeing Jesus at work or reasons for hope? Or I don't know, what's, what's keeping you going, my friend? <laughs> Prayer. <laughs> Prayer's keeping me going right yeah, now. That's a good answer. Honestly. Right there. <laughs> Maybe that's the whole answer, but yeah. Um, I, I'm especially leaning in to Holy Spirit as comforter because mm. my heart grieves so deeply. And even listening to, um, I call her Mama Maddie, listening to yeah. Mama Maddie and listening to Jeremy, I think about even things that I've felt um, anytime I have to leave my house to go somewhere I'm driving, there is this constant sense of hypervigilance where it's like, I have to be painfully aware of my surroundings. There is no being carefree 
unfortunately, at least not for me. I can't speak for um, all people in the black community. Um, and so I have to constantly challenge that hypervigilance and say, Lord, let people see you, sense you when I enter a space. Mm. When I encounter people somehow, um, of course, nowadays it's hard to see someone smiling because we have masks on. But when I look at someone and I notice that they may be kind of looking at me funny because I'm a, I'm literally like a bald, fat black woman. <laughs> like I am not your typical, you know, black woman. But uh, people kind of give me like weird looks, and I'm like, <laughs> hopefully you can tell I'm smiling by my eyes. <laughs> um, but yeah, just leaning into Holy Spirit um, as comforter, as guide, um, just just praying that people sense something different about me. Um, I also try to um, speak with, honestly, like other Black people in our community and say, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. I'm struggling right now. Are you struggling too? Let's pray together. Um, and even within the last day, um, I came across this book called Healing Racial Trauma. Um, I believe the author is Sheila Wise Rowe. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really looking to delve into that because, again, from the perspective of actually being a person of color and then also uh, being someone who I, I do want to go to graduate school and get my master's in social work so that I can become a therapist. Wow. Um, I, I, I care not only about our experiences, but like how they actually affect us, like psychologically and spiritually, so. Well, if I can be so bold as to say, I think you'd be amazing at that. <laughs> um, Thank you. And, and uh, I mean, I'm just gonna amen your dreams because um, well, number one, I mean, Anna, you just bring a beautiful presence of God with you everywhere that you go. That's not just an aspiration. That's actually, that's, that is your reputation. It's how we experience you. I'm saying the royal we, but I think I speak for a lot of people. <laughs> Since the first day you walked into our church, that smile that we're looking at right now, you've got a beautiful smile. You've got a beautiful mm -hmm. nature. There's a strength and a tenderness about you that would make you incredible in that, like an incredibly safe person. To, for people to talk to and walk things um, through with. And, you know, when you're up there on that platform leading worship, like you just drip the presence of God. And I think that's a real, it's a real gift. I mean, I, um, I don't know if you're uncomfortable with me making the conversation. About <laughs> you, I just need to, I need to encourage you in that. Cause I think that's a gift. I think that's a gift from heaven that's on you. I love it when you worship lead. I don't know if you notice, but I always step forward and like, I'm like, I'm right there. I love I, something about, and I, and I think it's interesting because, because I think maybe, and this is just a thought that's forming in me now. I think there's some connection too, between your authenticity and your worship, even, even, and even maybe, the pain in your worship. I think there's something, you know, you don't just worship from or praise from a place where it's like, hey, you know, happy go lucky, everything's going my way. You know, the Bible talks about bringing a sacrifice of praise. And and I think like one of the things that's lost in the Bible, I was talking about it um, with, with a guy this week, lost that's from the Bible that's lost in our context, say for a lot of people is lament too. Like being able to sit with pain, and, and may, maybe that's some cultures more so than others, probably. 
and some streams of the church more so than others just want to talk about faith and victory and overcoming but but you know i think like david some of those psalms are like a roller coaster aren't they it's like you know like god why have you abandoned me you know and yet i will praise the lord it's like you know it's like all four seasons in one psalm right Mm-hmm. And I think there's something about you bringing all of you, Anna, that I think whether it's worship or therapy or just the calling of your friends, I, I don't know. I don't know if I have a question. I guess it's more just me saying like, I respect that about you. And I want to be more like that. I've been more intentional in this season of just checking in with people. But I think there's something to that. And maybe, hey, on race, absolutely. And also even just coronavirus in general, it's like, people's mental health, people loneliness, um, getting up in our heads, getting alone. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, he who isolates himself, you know, that's really talking about somebody who chooses isolation, but we're kind of all forced right now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful for you in our midst. And I guess that kind of brings me, like I want to switch to Jeremy again for a second. Talk to me about as a pastor in this season, because here's me talking about, checking in with people or, you know, Anna talking about caring for people and, you know, worship and the house of God. And then you're specifically pastoring in Memphis. Is there any insight that you have that, that, you know, is anything God's showing you in this season about leading in the church in these times? Uh, No, thanks. That's a great question. Um, It's been, it's, it's different, you know, and I, one thing that God's been putting on my heart is, being open to conversation and having the conversation and initiating the conversation. Because one thing that he's put in my heart is that conversations challenge paradigms. Paradigms change behaviors, mm. change habits. And so we have to have these conversations if we're gonna change behaviors and paradigms. Yes, God will work on the heart, but we must first challenge a mindset. We must first question a mindset. And so um, I don't know um, if Pastor Andy told you when this whole thing happened a day or two later, I went to Instagram and um, I had just been reading The Samaritan Woman, right? And the story's so interesting on how it fits what we're going through right now. So we know that Jesus could have easily went around Samaria, right? It was actually a shortcut to go around Samaria. Um, but he, know, he says, no, we're going to go through, through Samaria. Um, and then as a, as, a, as, as a leader, as a brilliant leader he was, he tells the disciples, go into town and go look for something to eat. Go, go get something to eat. And then he meets this woman at the well. And the beauty about it was that he intentionally sent them away so that he you could have this one-on-one conversation with this woman. And instead of, and, and I learned from that, that, especially in this time where race is so big, I was like, I need to be having one-on-one conversations with people and answering their questions directly. Because if I come with a crowd, wow. imagine if the disciples were there, they would have said, Jesus, you can't talk to her. She's a Samaritan. We're Jewish. What, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Jesus, they would have interrupted what, 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 what took place. And so um, I was just like, well, if we're gonna, if we're, if this is gonna change anything, I need to have a conversation. So I posted on Instagram and I, I literally, my entire day was fielding questions. Um, I called it faith, race, and how to make a difference. Wow. And allowed anybody to ask any question, ask any question you want. Because again, if we don't change the paradigm, we don't change the habit, we don't change the behavior. 
And so we had a lot of interesting questions, a lot of good, just, and I didn't put their names out there, but I gave an answer on Instagram because I'm sure other people had the same question. And as a pastor, they were like, well, as, as a faith, how do you address it? And I think we're at a time, as you guys are well aware of, and you guys are doing very well, it's time for the church to take its place in mm. answering these questions. This is the time where the spotlight is shifted to the church and, and, and we have to say, no, we don't, we're not for racism. And, and really, it's, it's funny how a lot of it has come back to scripture. Um, I've done about 14 calls, dedicated about 35 hours, because they're like two hour, two hour and a half phone calls. And just sitting with um, people who are white, white leaders, white pastors, and just having them ask any and every question. Wow. Um, and someone asked me, Are you, aren't you exhausted from doing this? I'm like, yeah, but if I can grow up in a world where my children don't have to choose a side, and they don't have to choose how I'm, I'm more white than I am black because I am in an interracial marriage, or they don't have to choose which side that they want to identify with more, then I'll keep on doing it. I'll keep on doing it. Um, and so I've just been learning that um, in this time that we have to take a conversation and really capitalize it with the gospel and, ca and capitalize it with truth and realness. Because I love how he says, he asked her for a cup of water and she goes, you can't talk to me. Like she brings up the social part. She goes, you, you shouldn't be talking to me. Do you, do you know who I am? Do you know who you are? And then he just breaks it down. He's like, that's not going to matter anymore. Mm. So, and that's where I've been, I, it's, I believe that God, God didn't cause the pandemic, but I believe he's turning it for good. And here's how I view it is because there is no sports, there's no entertainment, there's no restaurants, right? There's none of that going on. Right. This horrific event happens when the entire world can focus on this sin, this evil. And isn't that like God? Wouldn't God allow something to happen just so we can address a root of something and say, no, this can't go on any further? And so I, I understand that question of like, how do you find hope in this situation? And that's where I'm finding hope. I'm like, because things that would usually go by the wayside because of the busyness of life is now getting prime attention. It's getting prime time views, prime time conversations. And that's where I find the hope. In, in, in Memphis, um, the, it's, we all know this is the place where Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. And so it's different. It's a little different. The culture is a little different um, because you have one who want to focus on the riots and looting. And then you have groups who are saying, no, this man died. And both of them end up in my church or both of them are church members. And it's like, how do I address this? And I, and I just take it back to the Bible. I take it back to the Bible. Someone, you know, I had a, someone ask, like, you know, George Floyd wasn't that great of a guy, so why is everyone painting out to be a martyr? Um, in which I replied, I said, well, in the Bible, there's a story of a, of a mother who lost her son. Jesus never asked the mother, was this a good guy? No, he felt compassion and he was moved and he brought him back to life. And so our job as Christians isn't to look at the history and say, is this guy worth bringing back to life? No, our job is just to bring people back to life through the gospel, no matter their past, and allow Jesus to work out the rest, allow him to work out everything that they've been through. And so um, it's been an interesting time. And 
um, a lot of questions, you know, a part of me just wanted to crawl away and say, I don't want to answer that, but I just felt the Holy Spirit say, no, share your experience, share your journey. This is the time for the church to stand up and say, no, we're going to lead this. We want justice. We want justice. We want, um, we want God to shine, but we're going to lead our people through justice and reconciliation. And so this isn't a time for the church to back down and say, all right, we're going to talk about this once every quarter or once a year. It needs to be a constant conversation. You know, just like my mom had that constant conversation of like, here's the police. We need to make this a constant normality in our, in our new normal, right? Because we can't go back to what's happened. We have a new thing, new cycle that we're pursuing. So um, it's just being that, being open and being raw. And, and I'm not speaking for the entire black community. Everyone has time to grieve and, 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 and mourn and things like that. And so it's not a push to say, we need to be doing that. But it is, it is an encouragement to say, don't be scared to share that. Don't be scared to, mm. when, the, when the time is right for you, when the time is right and God's put on your heart, don't, be, don't back down from that moment. Share your experiences. Well, I think too, what you were sharing there about being willing to just, hey, ask your questions. I think there's such value in that. I, I know I can, I can, I guess I can only speak um, from my own experience, but I'm so grateful for people. You know, you mentioned JR before, um, one of our downtown Brooklyn pastors. He's one of those people where I don't, I don't ever worry, like, is this a stupid question? Is this, you know, I mean, it probably is, but you know, no. he's so gracious to help me fill in the blanks or, you know, sometimes I just ask him something like, I know this is a hot button right now, but help me under, because maybe it's just that I grew up in Australia or maybe it's just that I'm a man or maybe it's just that I'm white or maybe it's just unfamiliar. There's a thousand reasons why I might not know, but I want to learn, but we, but to learn, like we need safe people in our world that we can, that we can ask and but we also need what you need the start of what you, you shared so much gold we could spend like hours drilling <laughs> down on everything you just said wow i mean from like paradigms to habits to behaviors i was like there's a whole sermon there and then <laughs> but then what you talked about in the beginning like are we open to conversations will we have the conversations will we initiate the conversations that's like three different layers too yeah. you know what i mean it's like open is like yeah yeah you know come to me having them is like you know when they come to me i'm i'm there but initiating conversations is something that the church the church i mean the church of jesus christ the, the people who call themselves followers of jesus that's the footing right now isn't it like Absolutely. and i want to initiate conversation i want to i want to ask i want to i want to go there I, you know it feels like a time to say to friends in my world like hey have i ever have i ever treated you in a way that was uncomfortable for you and you just didn't say anything to me like that you know i want to know is there anything i need to repent of like lord search my heart is there any wicked way in me like taking that to god taking that to people and and a posture to to learn and to grow so i mean i'm i'm grateful that you're doing that i think that sounds like an like an amazing thing you've done for yourself yeah. thank you thank you yeah I, I i try to open up the conversation for everyone because i find I find that I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I find that those who are asking, they want to change. They want, they don't want to be where they are. You know, they don't want to. And then the, those who don't ask don't change and they want to stay in their paradigms. And those are the people in my heart, I could say, go with God, you know, amen. Um, so creating a a space for those who care and and, and i joke and, and i halfway serious say to my church i'm like jesus would have worn the shirt samaritan lives matter because they were being persecuted by the jews they were being oppressed by the jews he would have worn that shirt 
he would have worn it proudly because he would have said, no, 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 they're my children too. I want them to come to me too. And so. That's huge. Wow. That's a, that's a really, that's a great insight. And I think this is kind of a, a good place. I mean, look, we could talk for hours. I'm really enjoying this. Like you guys have probably got a hundred other things to do, but for me, this is, this is where I am right now. I'm the thread through these conversations from Philip to Zoe last week. I mean, talk about people willing to change on last week's episode. Zoe shared about a racist experience he had at a restaurant here in New York. He wrote a Yelp review. The restaurant owner said, I want to get you, give you a meal. Come in and please share your experience with me. And the guy kind of admitted, I guess I grew up racist and but kind of said in the course of the conversation i actually want to change like help me understand and of course you know it's up to him to actually do the work but moments like that it give you a, some cautious reasons for hope you know it's like as, as long as we can be having the conversations as long as there's an openness or a willingness you know then, then there's a there's a chance for change and um and that gives me reason for hope that the world our kids and grandkids grow up in can be the, the better, the better than the one we're experiencing right now. So maybe this is where we can, where we can um, land it coming out of what um, Jeremy was just sharing there about, you know, bringing Jesus and scripture, you know, the Samaritan woman into the conversation. Maybe Maddie, um, I could have you do this to kind of round us out. You know, where, where do you see, like, Talk to me about this and the gospel. And then this is like the gospel is like the center of it all for you. And, and, and I believe like you got so much revelation, but what, you know, what do you, what do you see with the gospel at work in this situation right now? And what do you want us to be leaning on and listening to? And, and then maybe, maybe you could even just kind of close us out with prayer. Um, yeah. So I think that moving for the church to move forward, I think it will take personal introspection of oneself, particularly of you know parents raising children, mm. because once you do that inspection of your own heart, that will flow to your children. And so the family unit becomes society. So therefore, if you invest in your children and begin to teach your children, mm about different people as a whole and expose them to different people as a whole. We won't get the adults who are in the church, and I'm talking about in the church, who are turning their heads, turning a blind eye to what's going on. I mean, racism was in the Bible. I mean, Paul calls out Peter immediately. Like, what are you, what are you doing here, Peter, in Galatians? What are you doing here? So I think that, that our children become adults, which become citizens. So we have to invest and begin at the root, train up a child in the way that he should go. And, and that gospel has to be in the home. That gospel has to be for the children. Mm. And then, which, which springs out into the church. And how do I see the church? I feel that for a long time, the church has turned its head from the time of slavery into the Jim Crow laws, and just really kind of like authorizing, yet God said. And therefore, we have to deconstruct that, that thinking that you see the, re the repercussions of it in, in the thinking of, of people of the church. That, you know, they say that the most segregated day of the week is Sunday, starting with the church. You know, you see the black church, the white church, the Asian church. And so we need to 
I think that we that the church should not be afraid to speak about racism and injustice and that we are all a part of that 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 we should be weeping for those that are weeping we should be rejoicing with those who are rejoicing and we need to go back in the church and kind of like reteach those things and pray about those things because there are too many and i'm just really talking about the church and christians that are turning a blind eye to what's going on mm. and so we need we need to do it right now it, it's time for us to do it right it, and and paul a shout out to you paul you and andy are doing it and for that I am so thankful for both of you. You are doing it because I have friends that are in other churches and because of attendance or they don't want their congregants to reject them or at the end of the, please, at the end of the, at the end, we're talking about follow the money. But because the congregants don't want to hear it, the pastor's not going to speak about it. But you, Paul, thank you that you have boldly gone on the pulpit, you and Andy, and you have cried with us, and you have prayed with us, and that is a fresh start, and that is great, because, you know, in my heart, what I'm hoping is that it will spill, and it will multiply into the congregation, and into other people's lives, and it's not, it's not even going to be something like, look what Paul is doing, look what God is doing in Paul, that he has made his heart tender, we need believers to have tender hearts, hearts of compassion, hearts of empathy, and even in the people of color as well, too. Why don't we walk together hand in hand? Why don't we share experiences and then we go out and serve someone else? And then we go out and change the world, too, one by one within our circle. But you know what? It starts with us as humans. Mm. looking into our hearts and then it has to spill out into our families because Paul to be quite honest with you not every Christian wants to hear it they don't want to hear it they want to turn a blind eye and so for that I am thankful for so many things but I'm thankful for you and Andy that you're in the trenches you're in the mess with us and you're linking arms with us and that means that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. So thank you. Man, I love you. Thank you for saying that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm grateful for you. And I'm grateful to be standing shoulder to shoulder and leading in times like these. Um, you know, challenging times, but important times. Important times. At the beginning of this whole pandemic, uh, God really spoke to me from Joshua 1, you know, a familiar passage, but how to lead in uncharted territory, you know, again and again, be bold and courageous again and again, like study the word, stay in the word, speak the word, don't turn to the left or the right, no compromise here, you know, God spoke, you know, strength into Joshua as they were going to cross the Jordan, that leaders go first, they're in, you know, they're in the waters while everybody watches on, and you know, I just, I really have a sense that even though we're leading um, in many ways into uncharted territory, I, I you know, I, I, I'm with you. The gospel, Jesus is the answer. And uh, I've often heard it said that the, the church is the hope of the world. Um, the local church is the hope of the world. And I think we share a passion to see the local church be the kind of church that really is good hope. 
for the world. Not false hope. Um, not like you say, turning a blind eye or preaching popular things or tickling people's ears, I guess, is the expression, you know. But uh, leaning in and listening, being present to each other and, uh, and going together, forward, together. So Maddie, could I ask you to maybe, I, I'm so grateful Jeremy, Anna, I'm so grateful for you sharing. Honestly, I could have done an hour with each one of you. You're so full of gold, but this has been a beautiful, rich conversation today. And I just wonder if you could seal it all in prayer for us. Maddie, would you do that? Thank you. Heavenly Father, we just praise you. God, we thank you for who, who you are. We thank you, God, that you are the author of reconciliation, Father God. Father God, we thank you, God, that even now, God, you are, you are reconciling the church, Father God. You are reconciling the world, Father God. You are in control of all things, Father. We thank you that your spirit is present here, Father. We pray right now in the name of Jesus that every person viewing this this, our time together, God, that this word would encourage them, God, that this word, oh God, would be multiplied in each and every person that is hearing this, God, mm -hmm. that we would not, as a church, turn, turn a blind eye to injustice and racism, God, but that we would press forward, God, in the authority of Jesus Christ, God, that we would move forward in your word, God. We thank you for what you are doing, Father. We thank you, God, for Paul and Andy, and we seal them also in the blood of Jesus. We seal their family in the blood of Jesus. And we pray, Father God, that just as you instructed David before he went to war, and you instructed him when he was warring against the Philistines, and you showed him which way to go, I pray that you show Paul and Andy, God, in a fresh way, step by step, in which way to lead the church, God. I pray that their ears Father, are clear to hear you, Father, and their eyes, Lord God, see you. So, Father, thank you for this conversation. Bless Anastasia, Lord mm. God. I pray, Father, that she would continue in her walk and that she would be encouraged, God. And bless my son, God, Jeremy, that he would continue to walk in your truth. Mm. Bless him, Father, and bless our conversation. We seal it in the blood of Jesus. And we thank you for this time. In mm. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, yes. <laughs> all right. Good for the soul. I'm grateful for you all. Thank you for your example, your passion, your revelation, and, and for being willing to share. I believe you've helped a lot of people today. So bless you all. We'll call it a day. And I'm just, I'm praying for you and standing with you. Love you guys. Thank you so much. Love Thank you. you. Thank you.